Once upon a time, there was a girl and a boy who were in a relationship, and he took a picture of himself and on the back wrote this love letter. My dearest Diane, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I love you forever and ever. I'm yours for all eternity. He signed it, love always. And then some space down below added a PS saying, if we should break up, I want my picture back. What does it mean to love other people? Jesus said the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Interestingly, again and again in the New Testament, we are told over and over in every single book to love God and love others. There are two marks of a Christian, the two things that define someone who calls themselves a Christ follower. Love God, love your neighbor. And my question for us this morning is, are we becoming loving people? It's almost as if on the night of Pentecost, the apostles all got together after the Holy Spirit had come down and they thought to themselves, we need to start a campaign that's going to transform and change the world. And they started talking amongst themselves, well, if we're going to have this campaign that's going to change things and, and really do something, we've got to have a theme or a focus or something that we're all about. And they started wrestling with each other and they got on their whiteboard and you know, they're putting different sentences on the board. What are we going to be? What are we going to do? And then all of a sudden, of course, it would be Peter who would stand up and he would say, guys, I got it. I know what we're going to be about. We're going to be about love. And you can see them all just lean in just a little bit. And he say, you remember that, that parable of the Samaritan that he told? Love your neighbor. Remember just a few months ago when he washed our feet on the night before he died? Showing us his love for us. Remember how compassionate Jesus was towards those who seemingly didn't even deserve compassion? Remember how patient he was with us? Remember how he loved us even after we deserted him? I'm thinking our message needs to be love. And you can imagine everyone in that room going, I'm in. And they stayed on message. There was no doubt in the entire world that those who followed Christ loved. What marks us as Christians is not a symbol. It's not a book we carry. And frankly, it's not even a doctrine that we defend. What Jesus said would mark those who follow him are people who love. That's what makes Jesus so unique as a religious leader. He loved. His love was vulnerable, risky, messy, observable, 
and costly beyond what we could count. And this is what he asked of you and of me. He said, if you want to follow me, love. And let the whole world know that you are mine by the way that you love. Love God and love others in a vulnerable, risky, messy, observable, and costly way. And the simple question for us this morning is, how we doing? So we're going to reflect on loving others and reflect on this question. As we follow Jesus, are we becoming loving people? So to do that, we have to address what love looks like, what it means to be loving, and the power to become loving. So let's start with what love looks like. I've done a myriad of weddings in my day, too much that I've lost count. And you know, I would venture to say that still when I do a wedding and you have that moment when a couple looks at each other and they're saying, I vow to love you forever and ever, always and forever, that it's still a moving thing to me. It's still powerful to watch a man and a woman look at each other in their eyes and say, I'm going to love you no matter what comes to pass. And probably, I don't, I don't know, maybe 60% of the time, I couldn't give you a number, I use a passage that comes out of passage you might be thinking is the passage that happens when you do a wedding and you're talking about love. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I don't know why that passage became the wedding passage. It's like, why all of a sudden did we decide that if you're going to talk about being married, you're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 13? And for some reason now, we just think that 1 Corinthians 13 is for weddings. You know, that's not what Paul was thinking about when he wrote 1 Corinthians 13. I want to reclaim 1 Corinthians 13 today, church. I want to redeem it for us. It's a powerful unpacking of what it looks like to love. And I want to help us unpack what it looks like to love. So if you have your Bibles and you want to jump over there with me in 1 Corinthians 13, I just want to methodically work through it and, and reflect on what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Paul starts this way. If I speak in the tongues of angels of tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And I, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Just paraphrase those for us in our modern world. If I have a quiet time every day, pray for hours, quote not just verses of scripture, but passages of scripture, and not just passages of scripture, but books of the Bible. If I have the spiritual gift of preaching and teaching and encouragement and discernment and evangelism, but I have not love, then I'm just noisy. My life is not in harmony. My life won't make sense to those around me. 
If I'm theologically brilliant and can explain the prophecies of Daniel, the book of Revelation, and I can expound on the sovereignty of God and teach with certainty the doctrines of predestination and election and how salvation works, but I have not love, then I'm nothing. I'm just someone who knows things. If I give to the church, give to the sharing shed, give to missionaries, give to the needy person on the street, if I'm willing to live in simplicity, if I'm persecuted, even to the point of death, but I have not love, then I've given nothing. I'm just someone who doesn't have stuff. Love isn't a nice option in Paul's mind. It's an essential ingredient to being a follower of Jesus. And so Paul then turns the corner and he gives a list here that maybe you've heard, maybe you know. He starts in verse 4 and he says, love is patient means love is long-tempered. means love doesn't have a quick fuse. He said love is kind. It's helpful. It's friendly. Love is free of pettiness. Love doesn't have a critical spirit. He said, love does not envy or boast. This refers to feelings of resentment or discontentment arriving, arising from the perceived advantages, success, or possessions of somebody else. Oftentimes, commands are said in the negative to help us ponder the positive. So here Paul, in essence, is doing that. He's saying love does not envy or boast. And so what he is hoping his readers will do is flip that and recognize that what that means is love celebrates the achievements of others. Love really enjoys helping others succeed. He then says love is not arrogant or rude. Arrogance involves an inflated sense of our own abilities, often leading to an attitude of superiority of others. To flip it, love means we exalt others. We see the dignity and value of others, and we value them. Interestingly, love is not arrogant or rude. I, I think profoundly it means being right doesn't mean you have the right to be ugly. Love keeps us from demeaning others who disagree, see things differently. Paul goes on. 
Love does not insist on its own way, its own interests. Love isn't pushy or demanding or self-centered. Flip it, love is therefore characterized by a willingness to consider the needs and preferences and well-being of those around us. Paul says love is not irritable or resentful. It means love doesn't fly off the handle. It means love doesn't give the silent treatment. Love rejoices with the truth. It's interesting here, what Paul's really talking about is justice in that word truth. Love rejoices when the kingdom of God is displayed, he means. When poverty is thwarted, when racism is confronted. This concept reflects the idea that love should be uplifting and encouraging and aligned with principles that promote the well-being of individuals and communities. That's love. I wonder what you are feeling as we go through all of that. Sometimes I wonder what Paul wanted us to feel. Is there a weight that's transpiring in our souls where we're wondering, oh, there's a lot of those things that I am not like? Is there a a vision that gets stirred in you? Oh, yeah, that is who I want to be. That is the person I, I long for God to make me. There's a temptation here. It's a temptation that I, I think we all face. It's a temptation we face in much of what it means to follow Jesus, and that is that we like to make things and turn them into checklists. So we can take this list and turn it into a checklist. You know, oh, well, I was patient on Tuesday, and I didn't look to my own interests on Wednesday, and let's not talk about Thursday, and on Friday I wasn't resentful. And so, you know, I'm like uh, three out of five this week, you know, call that pretty good. Interesting, though, I, I don't think that's what Jesus was thinking of, and frankly, Paul was thinking of when he was saying, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Somehow we would just have a checklist that we would be going through and it would solve all our problems. Rather, I think what Jesus and Paul were doing when it came to love and loving others was something way more radical than that. You see, Jesus says, love your neighbor, but it's offered and explained through an interesting approach to what that means and what it looks like. I mean, if the second greatest command is to love our neighbors, well, you would venture to say that a good question to ask is, well, who is my neighbor and what would that look like? Well, interestingly enough, there is a time where Jesus had an interaction with somebody where they asked, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor and how should I love them? comes in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Perhaps one of the most famous passages and well-known stories that Jesus ever told, the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
sake of time, we won't dig into it deeply. But the synopsis of this story is there was a man, a lawyer who was smart and was hearing Jesus' command to love. And he asked Jesus, well, I do love God. If the second commandment is to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story of a man dying on the side of the road and two religious leaders pass him by. But a Samaritan, the the very opposite of a Jewish person, in fact, extremely hated by Jewish people. Jesus makes explicit, he uses the seeing language over and over, and he says, the Samaritan saw something different in the man, the one hurting on the side of the road. So the Samaritan acts, and he chooses to extravagantly care for the man. And so even though the lawyer had asked, who is my neighbor, Jesus does something that if we aren't paying total attention, we may miss how he's understanding and pushing his followers to think about loving other people. And and instead of saying, who is the neighbor, he asks the lawyer, who was neighbor Lee? It's a very subtle thing, but what Jesus is saying is, it's a principle that's important for us to grasp and important for us to understand what it means to live out this command to love others. Jesus is saying this is, what you see is really determined by what you are. What you see is determined by what you are. If I can, before we tease this out, let me try and illustrate. This past year, I had been working on some things on our house with my dad. Uh, we love doing handyman rehabber projects, if you will. And so we had the opportunity to rehab a couple of our bathrooms in the house. It was a project we took on. You know, at first you think, oh, it'll just take a few weeks, and then it takes longer. And so we did uh, our upstairs bathroom, and that would give us a B or so on that project. Uh, The second bathroom was closer to an A minus and we learned our lessons on a few things and zero entry stuff and we did all the tile and all these things. And I would say to you now that after time and having done several projects like this around my house, I I would say I've become a rehabber. It's something I am, that I like to fix things, that I work on things. I I really like doing these. And and you know how I know that I've become that way? It's because when I go to your house, I look at things differently. I mean, I hope you still invite me over, but I, but I, I, I look at the tile in your bathrooms, and I look at the caulking around the bathtub, and, and I, I pay attention to the painting and the drywalling, and you know, my dad and I, we're, we're middle of the road pretty good, so most of the time I'm like, oh, that's really good tile. That's a pretty good tile job right there. Yeah, oh man, they got the corner and they did that, Damn, that's impressive. Because who you are determines what you see. Jesus, he, he's saying something incredibly radical and profound about loving people. He, he's saying, look, I don't want you to make a checklist to love. I don't want you to look for 
who is my neighbor and how am I supposed to treat them? He's saying, I want to make you someone who loves. That his transformative power of those who follow him is not to just make a bunch of people who do acts of love. He wants to create and make loving people. Now, you may be thinking that's a, that's a subtle thing, Brian. I don't totally get it. Let, let's unpack this for a second. You see, our aim in love is not to be loving to this person or that person. So on a good day, I'll love Chuck and maybe Steve, but it depends, you know, like, and, and I have to work through all these things. No, 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 no. What it means to love our neighbor is that Jesus is going to make us be a person so possessed by love as an overall character of our life that whatever is going on is going on inside of us. So in every situation I am, I'm going to encounter it as a loving person. I do not come to my neighbor and then try to love them. I come to my neighbor as a loving person. Because I'm loving, because God has drastically transformed and changed me, what do I see? I see opportunities for love. It's just who I am. It's just what comes out of me. I mean, can you feel the difference? Jesus isn't creating people who just do acts of love. He's creating loving people. That's what it means to follow him and to know him. Because I'm determined by what I see. If I'm loving, then I see opportunities to love. For us, simply, practically, church, is a, we try to think about what it means to become the gospel, our mission. This is what it means. Engaging the world Monday through Saturday, not hoping to do a couple loving things on Monday and a couple loving things on Wednesday, but rather to enter into the world as loving people. So, are you becoming a loving person? It's a complicated and challenging question, but... When Paul unpacks what love is, he's saying, this is what will come forth from a loving person. Now, I could end my sermon right here, and I could say, so let's go be loving people. <laughs> and it would crush us. It would crush us. Because the key crucial point to all of this, and maybe you knew that this was coming, Maybe you have heard this as we've talked about this, but the other incredibly crucial piece to becoming a loving person is we have to get to a place where we see that we have been loved beyond our wildest dreams. That until we encounter being loved, we will just look at love as some act that we try to commit. But when we see God truly overwhelmingly loving us, it transforms and changes us. His desire is for that to transform and change us into loving people. And so the question is, how do we become loving? <laughs> well, we have a problem. It's this. We like the idea of loving other people. Sounds good. 
I want to be loved, so I like that idea especially. So if all you guys would become loving people and then be loving to me, that sounds good. And it sounds to some extent, I think for many of us, convicting. We're like, yeah, if Jesus was all about love, okay, I want to be a loving person. But the reality is, and this maybe is true of much of the Christian life, God doesn't just and you're loving. Some of us struggle with that. We're like, God, why don't you do that? Well, I think it's because he wants us to really take in how much he loves us. Like He's opening the door for you and me to say, he's put it out there. Here's how deeply I love you. Will you just ponder and reflect and take that in. I mean, let's admit together as a church, it is challenging to change. But frankly, change won't happen if it's not challenging. So I want to offer to you two practical ways to grow in gospel love. The first one is this. Begin by examining what comes out of you. (laughs) I started doing this in December. A little bit preparing for this message, knowing where we were starting at the beginning of the year. Start paying attention to what comes out of you in moments of stress. What comes out of you in moments of happiness. What comes out of you when your daughter is giving you the silent treatment. What comes out of you when your daughter forgets to do the dishes? What comes out of you when your daughter doesn't put gas in her car? Yeah, I don't want to tell you what came out of me. I don't want to share with you guys how that experiment went for me. Because to be serious and transparent, it was extremely convicting. That... In my heart, approaching this, I was like, I, I, Jesus, I want to be a loving person. I, I want that to be what comes out of me. And frankly, it was a little bit overwhelming to see how often love didn't come from me. Which, which leads me to the second application here and this, and that is this, that we need to be intentional about what comes in. So, but instead of ruthlessly beating myself up for not being loving, I intentionally made a decision to think in those moments about how deeply loved I am. That there were, frankly, a couple of passages of Scripture that I had been thinking about and meditating on and reflecting on, and I intentionally made a decision in those moments when love wasn't coming forth from me to allow myself to be loved by God in that very moment. Do you hear what I'm saying there? 
that, that usually what we do in moments like that is we're like, ooh, I'm not good enough to be in God's presence. He doesn't want me here. And what I was trying to do is actually experience how deep and profound and wide and high and long God's love is for me, that even in those moments where I was the opposite of what he was trying to make me, I was allowing myself to think about how loved I am even in that moment. That what we need to learn to do or put into practice is take in, think about, reflect on, ponder what it means that God loves us. Well, how do we do that? We sing about it. We write about it. We draw it. We meditate on it. We memorize scripture about it. We put it on a post-it note on our mirror. So many great passages about how God loves us in Christ. Last week, I asked us as a church to consider uh, reading the book of 1 John this month, one chapter a day, Monday through Friday. Whether you did it or not, no condemnation. Maybe I'd invite you to try it again this week, or if you weren't here, join us. Just Monday through Friday, 1 John is five chapters. It's a lot about loving God and loving others. And just read one chapter a day, but take your time. Don't, don't just do it because I said to do it. Just, just take 10 minutes and just read it slowly. And what verse in there is that you would say, God, what is it about your love, me becoming a loving person that you want me to absorb out of this? When you get to chapter 4, maybe you would slow down even more. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21 I'm going to offer to you today that this passage could hotly contest and perhaps even replace 1 Corinthians 13 as the most impactful chapter on love in the Bible. 15, I'm sorry, in those 15 verses, 27 times, so that's roughly 1.8 times per verse, John is talking about loving, loved, loves, that here at the end of John's life, as he's wrestling through what it means to be a loving people, he can't help but talk about how God is what? Love. It's easy to try and pick, the choose, pick and choose the moments we want to love. It's a whole other thing to be a loving person and when Jesus says the greatest commandment is this, to love your neighbor as yourself, what he's telling us is that he's not here to create people who just every now and then commit acts of love. He's here to create loving people. One last thought, I'll conclude with this practical idea that I tried this week and maybe you would consider it too. I took a moment on Friday morning and I wrote a letter from God to me about how he loves me. I love letters. Um, when I lived in Germany, when I was a freshman in high school, it, it, was, it was my favorite thing every day that I would 
go down. I mean, this was 1993, remember? So no email and things like that. And I would, I would go down the cubby, down the stairs, and every day there was just this anticipation and excitement about letters that we would get. So I took a moment on Friday, and I just, I just penned a note from God to me about his love. And it impacted me, actually pretty deeply. And if I could uh, be vulnerable with you here in this moment, I, I just want to read to you what I wrote. More than anything, just to encourage you that God is working in a way to make us a loving people. And what that means is, is we have to take in we have to receive, we have to absorb what it means that he loves us. I wrote this, my beloved Brian. As I pen these words, know that my love for you surpasses all understanding. It is boundless. I'm reaching out to you not as some distant person, but as a mentor, a friend, a brother. I see your journey, the struggles you've faced, and the victories you've celebrated, and my love for you has never changed. In those moments, I've woven threads of redemption and grace and hope. Your story is a testament to my transformative power and I rejoice in every step you take. I love everything about who you've become and who you are becoming. Remember, my love isn't contingent upon your perfection or your accomplishment. Frankly, it flourishes in your imperfections. It is my grace and my love that liberates, forgives, and propels you. So know how real it is. Let my love guide your every step, Brian. It's not a distant concept. It's a living force that dwells within you, empowering you to love others as I have loved you. You are so much more loved than you realize. Jesus. P.S. Remember, nothing, literally nothing, can separate you from my love. Let's pray. Almighty, awesome God, we thank you for your love. Forgive us for not taking the time to just sit in your love. Thank you for loving us beyond our wildest dreams and uh, may we become so engrossed in your love that 
what you said should and could happen would happen to us. And may this tiny little church in this tiny corner of the world, we humbly ask God that we would become loving people. Yeah, we pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen.